0: Good morning. 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 Sorry, I missed. We'll make a date. just like to be rocked like that. <laughs> That's really nice. Hi, welcome back. Yeah. Before I start my official talk, which is silly to say because this is my official talk, (laughs) Um, I want to talk with you about a couple of things. One is that um, I wanted to thank the people who are coming in the evening and in the morning to Zazen to sit with me. Or, nightmare actually, it's a little, (laughs) maybe it's a little bit too much, but anyway, to sit together. Um, there are two things I, I keep talking about, and I'm going to talk about them again. There are two things that are really important in our way, in our lineage. and One is sitting zazen, and the other is sangha. So I wanted to talk a little bit about both. Um, the sangha jewel is—it's necessary. It's really necessary. Um, when we when we participate in the sangha, we are assuming we're trusting that the people here are looking and taking responsibility within. Um, I don't um, I don't want our community to err on the side of harmony. To imagine that in the sangha everything is peaceful and everybody is um, you know calm we're just human beings we're regular people and the only the difference in sangha is is that we trust that the person we're relating with is looking at their own conditioning and that they're working on something so for example um if a person if a person's history, if a person's conditioning is such that they have difficulty, let's say, with anger, um, I will encourage that person to reach that energy and allow that energy to come up. And in the most skillful way, they'll transform that energy while sitting on the cushion. But sometimes we're not so skillful. And when a person first allows that energy to come up, something may trigger them in the Sangha, and they may let out some of that energy in an unskillful way because they've not practiced with that yet. And so, the rest of the people, it's not that, I'm not encouraging people to get angry, (laughs) but I'm saying that sometimes that does happen, and for a particular person that might be the most appropriate thing that they're working on. So, I I remember when I was in Tassajara, the first time I, I went there I um, I had I had a lot of energy <laughs> and uh, so I went around for years apologizing all the time you know I would my personality was kind of big and it kind of flopped out and I would make mistakes and I would you know then there would be these <laughs> there would be these you know a practice leader myself and the person I just made a mistake with, and we would have these you know discussions and I would be apologizing all the time. And <laughs> But I was trying really hard. It was the appropriate thing for me to do at that time, and so long as we take real responsibility for what arises in us, the rest of the people in the Sangha are trusting that that actually is what's happening, that we're not, in this particular case, getting angry unconsciously. We're, we're trying our best and making mistakes and that's a lot what Sangha is about, it's a terrific mirror for where we're at and it is the place that we um, more than not in safety can work out our old karma. It's a gift that we do for each other so I'm encouraging us to use it that way. And the other thing I want to talk about is, is the meditation. There, well, I'm going to say this, there is no practice without sitting. So, I mean, um, I'm assuming that when you come here to listen to a Dharma talk, for example, that you make it here for the 10 o'clock sit first. Or if we have Dokasan, that you sit before you come in some way. And I realize, I really do, and I kind of apologize, that it's very difficult to lay practice, especially in New York. You guys are making a tremendous effort just to do what you're doing. I understand. And I'm understanding more as I live here. (laughs) It's tough here, and it really is different. It's speedy. I mean, this morning I was just telling Ruth, this morning I was walking to the zendo and nobody, I came early-ish, nobody was pretty much on the street, and three times there was a car turning left or the light had just changed, and the person behind them beeped their horn. It wasn't fast enough. And in a way you guys are getting this pressure, even almost unconsciously, all the time. It's like, you know, do it better, do it more, do it faster. You know, I have people to see, places to go, you know. It's hard, I, I appreciate that. But at some point, that butt was really quick, maybe too quick. <laughs> uh, at some point we have to make a priority, we have to make, it, make this practice. If you want to transform, you know, and be free of that old karmic patterning, And everybody doesn't have to do that. I'm not saying that everybody should do that, no. But those of you who do want to do that, you have to make zazen, you have to make sitting. This is our way. You have to make zazen, meditation, a priority. So instead of signing up for dinner on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you sign up for dinner with a friend Monday, Friday. Or if you know that our zazen is in the morning, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you don't stay out late the night before. You know that you're making meditation a priority in your life, out of which everything else comes. It's the base of how you live your life. It's, it's the base. And um, as we'll see in the text that we're reading or at least a little bit what I'm going to say about it is that we, um, we sit, first of all because um, we don't offer much else <laughs> in terms of training, so in one way sitting meditation is training the mind as i said during zazen instruction this morning it's the place where it's the actually the easiest place to convince your own mind that what you really want to do is be present but it's also the easiest place that we can experience a quiet mind a mind that is who we are at our base at the fundamental is this quiet still spacious, equanimous, alert uh, mind. And the more we spend time there, the more uh, insight comes out of that space, that quietness, that deeply settled stillness and again i'll be talking a little bit about it it is what changed in a way from indian buddhism to what turned into chan Chan, or zen it's the difference between um, an emphasis on purification and steps and stages which i every time i say that i also say it's a perfectly good path our path is just a little bit different, our style is different to one that emphasizes direct experience immediately in this non-dual way that we sit so again, I'm encouraging you guys to sit together as a sangha sit at home, if you can't make it but do make it a priority. Otherwise, it's entertainment rather than a real transformation at the base. So that's my encouragement to you. Another way to explain what we do... Suzuki Roshi said this, I, I've said this to you before, but really I like this little sentence. Suzuki Roshi, I think it, in, in the original Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, it was on the left page up at the top, but I keep looking there I can't find it. <laughs> anyway, he said, Make yourself peaceful and stick to it. That was his instruction. We offer um, this way of non-dual uh, zazen with the, under, with the faith that Buddha Mind is what we are, fundamentally. <laughs> <laughs> combined with a kind of selfless devotion to activity as our path. It's pretty simple and it's really difficult to do. And what happens is we study what prevents us from doing that, really. So when we sit we have a really taste that before the thinking chattering mind happens there is nothing. There is a quiet vast stillness that doesn't grasp, that doesn't activate around perception, objects and so on. And this is what the song or the poem that we're going to talk about today (coughs) uh, emphasizes. It's a a wonderful transformation of Buddhism that happens in China when the Indian sense of philosophic dialogue and metaphysical chewing on concepts changes to this emphasis on 100% throwing yourself into activity, developing this, not developing, but uncovering this mind of equanimity, and then being life, just living day-to-day life. It's an amazing transformation and it happens from when Bodhidharma comes to China it happens, uh, Bodhidharma, and then Sosan, which the poem we're going to read today. And then he's the third ancestor. And then by the time you get to the sixth ancestor, Wei Nang, that we studied last year, that we studied last year, when you read the Platform Sutra, it totally sounds like completely Zen. So Sosan is kind of halfway in between. The words are kind of Taoist words. But the sense of it is completely Buddhist, so it's a kind of a combination of the two. And as that happens, this this change in how um, what can I say, how life how life is approached, really is turned on its head. Anyway, so it's fun, I think. But I'm going to start by going back to Bodhidharma. I want you to hear a little bit of two, two little dialogues with Bodhidharma and his disciple, Weka that I talked about last time. Because already with Bodhidharma, he's, he's talking about living direct experience beyond concepts. So, from India, lots of concepts and lots of lists and lots of ideas about how to practice. And by the time you get to Zen, it's completely... Well, I keep wanting to say, we do have to, because... <laughs> I don't want to not say that we should study, we should study. But our, but our way is beyond, it's really clear, it's really pointing to completely not giving substance, not giving truth, not, not activating the mind around any concept any concept. Matter of fact, if you listen listen to yourself when you talk and listen to other people when they're talking, 90% of the conversation is you're telling yourself or the other person is telling you who they are. I like this. This is what I think. This is who I am. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. Pretty much Most of the conversation is about creating your own identity over and over and over again. And most of the time, the identity that you create is suffering. So, why do it? It's a habit. It's just a habit. It's the little mind trying to be the doer, trying to have a life. The small self wants to live, wants to continue, and that's how it continues. It keeps creating itself and then finding something that it needs to fix. Itself. (laughs) I think about it, it's kind of a catch-22. It creates this suffering being and then it tries to fix it. Our way is to cut off the legs and not create that being in the first place. It's, uh... It's hard, you know, but it's a, but it's really, it's a really profound way to live. So here is um, the first conversation. I think I told you this one already. No, I didn't tell you this one. Remember, Hueca comes to Bodhidharma and he tries to convince him that he really wants to do this practice and he cuts off his left arm. And so Bodhidharma, Bodhidharma notices and turns to him, and they have they have this conversation. Bodhidharma says, "You know, well, why are you here? I see that you're, I see that you're sincere. You really want to be doing this. What what's the, what's the difficulty?" And Waika says, "You can relate to this." Waika says, "My mind is not at rest. I implore you, please bring it to rest." And Bodhidharma says, well, give me your mind and I will put it at rest for you. Hueka goes away to investigate. <laughs> He's a good student. And then he comes back. And then he says to Bodhidharma, when I look for my mind, I can't find it. And then Bodhidharma says, aha, you see, I've already pacified it for you. When you sit zazen, you can can do that. See if you can find your mind. Not the content. I'm not talking about the content. I'm not talking about the words that come up. I'm not talking about the content. Look for the mind that knows there's content there. See if you can find it. So Hueca goes and practices for a while and then he comes back to Bodhidharma and he says, this is a very famous conversation, Bodhidharma says, and this is um, encouragement to not grasp concepts, Bodhidana. Outside, have no involvements. Inside, no coughing or sighing in the mind. When you reach this way, you will have no doubt. So Buega goes away, and he investigates. And then when he comes back, he says, I have no further involvements, Bodhidharma. Doesn't that fall into nihilism? Possible. No, Vajka says. Bodhidharma says, oh, prove it. Vajka says, I'm always just clearly aware, Bodhidharma. Have no further doubts. This is the state of suchness. This is very good taste of our way. It is our way. Remember when um, Buddha said, Just the just, just the herd in the herd, just the scene in the scene, and so on? Just don't activate the mind around life through all concepts arise but, but, but no activity still mind the mind is quiet So that if there's no steps and stages, if we don't give you anything to do, if we just throw you a hundred percent into life itself, you have to have faith. (coughs) You have to have a very deep and abiding faith that this is uh, your true nature. You have to have faith in this true nature. And at first we don't, of course. But little by little, as you begin to have some experience with this mind of stillness, some direct experience of it, then you, you begin, faith really develops, faith deepens. Faith in this way, faith in the mind. Trust in life as it has come to be. Instead of fighting with it all the time, instead of struggling inside and struggling outside, you begin to relax and you let life be the way it has come to be, even when it's really difficult. No fighting, no struggling. Even if resistance comes up, just resistance. It's not pleasant, but just resistance. So, Um, I'm going to read you some of the poem. It's by Sozan. He's our third ancestor in the Zen lineage. His name means Sangha Jewel. Isn't that a lovely name? I like it. And I think I will skip a bit because Kitchen just left. So (laughs) um, (laughs) So it must be around lunchtime. I wanted a little bit to talk about how the Taoist sense meets Bodhidharma in a very um, intimate way but I, won't, I think I'll just read you the poem and I'll tell you a little bit about Sosan maybe next time. We don't know very much about him actually. Oh, I think I have something on his tombstone that I wrote down No, nope, can't find it Yes, I did. Um, This is one of the only things that we know about his teaching. So I'll read it to you. It sounds already very uh, zinny. Quote, Simultaneously practice stillness and illumination. Carefully observe, but see no dharmas, see no body, see no mind for the mind is nameless, the body empty, the dharmas are a dream. There is nothing to be attained, no enlightenment to be experienced. This is called liberation. This is very strict. It's very, very strict. You can think about it as strict on one hand, but it's also very much a wonderful um, gift if you allow it to be that way because right away it eliminates seeking right away you don't have to seek anymore this already is the only thing that you need to be just sit just cut the carrot just bow just open the door of the car So his poem is called um, Trust in the Mind, or, th- you know, there's no um, there's no difference in Chinese between a verb and a noun, I didn't know that. So it can mean trusting the mind, or it can be, you know, uh, it can be song of realization also. And for, for Chinese, the mind and the heart, no different. and by the heart, they mean also emotion, thought. So, emotion, thought for Chinese, not different. It's really, the, I, I wish I could understand a little bit about Chinese language because they see in pictures. You know, that's why in India, from us, we go we're from India, we do linear thinking, right? But the Chinese don't. They, they see a hole right away because they, they see pic, say they, their mind is in pictures. Isn't that neat? I think that's great. So here's the poem. I'm, only, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read um, some of it, and then I'm going to read the opposites. Because the whole poem is about don't make opposites, because concepts are opposites. A concept is always relative to something else. So he lists like something like 32, 28 opposites all during the poem like, dislike, you'll see um, what they are. And then he talks about this mind of equanimity. And he, and he suggests living that way. This is an instruction about how to live. This poem is an instruction on how to live. Okay, here we go. It's called the Xin Xin Ming, Trust in the Heart mine. The way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. The way is perfect like vast space where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess. Indeed, it is due to our choosing to accept or reject that we do not see the true nature of things. Live neither in the entanglements of outer things nor in inner feelings of emptiness. Be serene in the oneness of things and such erroneous views will disappear by themselves. When you try to stop activity to achieve passivity your very effort fills you with activity. As long as you remain in one extreme or the other You will never know oneness. And now some uh, dualities. Activity, passivity, assertion, denial. Stop talking and thinking and there is nothing you will not be able to know. Do not remain in the dualistic state. Avoid such pursuits carefully. This and that, right and wrong, When the mind exists undisturbed in the way, nothing in the world can offend. And when a thing can no longer offend, it ceases to exist in the old way. When no discriminating thoughts arise, the old mind ceases to exist. Subject, object. Understand the relativity of these two and the basic reality, the unity of emptiness. In this emptiness, the two are indistinguishable and each contains in itself the whole world, coarse and fine, easy or difficult. The faster they hurry, the slower they go and clinging attachment cannot be limited. Even to be attached to the idea of enlightenment is to go astray. Just let things be in their own way and there will be neither coming nor going. And the burdensome practice of judging brings annoyance and weariness. What benefit can be derived from distinctions and separations? If you wish to move in the way, do not dislike even the world of senses and ideas. Indeed, to accept them fully is identical with true awakening. The wise person strives to no goals, but the foolish person fetters himself. There is one Dharma, not many. Distinctions arise from the clinging needs of the ignorant. To seek mind with the discriminating mind is the greatest of all mistakes. Rest and unrest, gain and loss, right and wrong. Such thoughts must finally be abolished at once. If the mind makes no discriminations, the 10,000 things are as they are, of single essence. To understand the mystery of this one essence is to be released from all entanglements. When all things are seen equally, the timeless self-essence is reached. No comparisons or analogies are possible in this causeless, relationless state. For the unified mind in accord with the way, all self centered striving ceases. Doubts and irresolutions vanish, and the life in true faith is possible. All is empty, clear, self illuminating, with no exertion of the mind's power. Here, thought, feeling, knowledge and imagination are of no value. In this world of suchness, there is neither seer nor other than self. To come directly into harmony with this reality, just simply say when doubt arises, not to. In this not to. Nothing is separate. Nothing is excluded. No matter when or where, Enlightenment means entering this truth. And this truth is beyond extension or diminution in time or space. In it, a single thought is 10,000 years. Emptiness here, emptiness there. But the infinite universe stands always before your eyes. Infinitely large and infinitely small. No difference for definitions have vanished and no boundaries are seen. So too is being and non-being. Don't waste time in doubts and arguments that have nothing to do with this. One thing, all things, move among and intermingle without distinction. To live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. To live in this faith is the road to non-duality, because the non-dual is one with the trusting mind, words. The way is beyond language, for in it there is no yesterday, no tomorrow, and no today. Or even if we don't understand the words, something in us does understand. I believe his words resonate. We resonate with something deeper than the words, something that the words are pointing to, that is what we are. So we resonate. This is an instruction. So come sit and have a taste of your true self, including the thoughts, beyond the thoughts. Just sit and don't grasp. And then take that non-grasping mind into the world and just live one hundred percent. It's simple, but it's not easy. We need commitment, dedication, humor, effort, kindness, determination, But it is what we are, in faith. That we are Buddha already. And peace is our birthright. So let's